hey, this is the Hack DM, PJ Smith or Peter Smith. I don't remember what I've been calling myself on here yet, but um, this is episode two, I guess, because the first was zero. Um, and with me today is uh, Leah, who plays in my, well, Eclipse Rays game now, because as me and Dan were talking about last week, the Dungeons and Dragons game ended in TPK. Enter, say something so that they can hear your voice. Hi, my name is Leah. I am a player, um, <laughs> and soon to be D DM or GM or whatever you want to call yeah. it. I think they call it GM and Anima, but yeah, she's going to be running the Anima game that I'm going to be playing in, like, maybe bi-weekly or tri-weekly, depending on how exactly okay, our friend Kyle's so. game <laughs> works out, but bi-weekly probably for now, because he doesn't seem to be making initiative to do anything. And he, so. well, he wants to wait until Matt comes back, another player I think, named Matt. I think, I think Matt is back, uh, like, this week coming. He has a new Blackbird or something, eh? Oh, does he? He messaged me with a new pin for BBM, and I don't know why he got a new one when he had the bowl. Oh, his bowl was messing up. Yeah, yeah. Remember? Okay, that makes sense. All right. Um, Off topic? Well, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's informal. Yeah. <laughs> you should hear... Okay, if, if anyone is listening to this who hasn't heard Kicked in the Dice Bags and uh, wants a laugh, listen to that podcast. It's a gaming podcast, and I think I've heard them mention gaming like three times throughout like the entire lifespan of that podcast they do talk about stuff like comics they actually they probably talk about comics or superheroes more than they talk about gaming but it's just it, it's a it's a funny podcast um and uh, if you don't like explicit stuff definitely don't listen to it okay <laughs> the first thing that we were going to talk about i guess is we i ran my first session of a clips phase this week and uh, I guess we're going to talk about how that went so far. I think it went pretty good. I wrote a blog entry up on roleplaymedia.net or whatever it is, um, talking about uh, some th things to do to prep for the game now that I have some experience. Definitely know the reputation system because I oh, kind of forgot how important that was. I basically did it right because I, I, I mean, obviously I've read the book and stuff like that, but I was kind of actually a little lenient on it, really. Yeah, like, I should have been burning more rep. In terms of like us players, though, having known beforehand that your rep adds to your networking, like well, a lot it doesn't of us add. Your rep uses your networking well, to, but you, yeah. your networking is the check that you have to pass in order to pass for to use to even use your rep. And the fact that like all of us put all these points in a rep and have like no points in the actual networking, like, <laughs> I got. Networking hypercorps because that was like part of my morph, right? One of the morph abilities that you get. But I was like, oh, I don't really need that. And then my other networking, I can't even remember what it is, but it doesn't even pertain to. To be fair, the first thing in the reputation section, which you need to look at to even know what the different reputations are, says you use networking for your reputation. Well, I so I, <laughs> <laughs> well, I would not blame the game for that since it's clearly stated. Yeah, none, not not one of us players had had our networking correct. So obviously. None of us got that right. Maybe you and your player. No, did. I, I think Allie did. Allie's networking all worked out. Kyle's yeah. networking with me. It might not have been as high as he wanted, but he did have the right networkings for his stuff. And uh, Adam didn't. actually, Adam, you couldn't tell. And Dan, yeah, I don't. Adam, you couldn't even tell. Adam was well, not his character sheet. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> but um, I, I think I think the game generally, from like I guess Jen's perspective, it was very. Uh, every player doing their own thing, so I had 2,000 things, like, coming at me at once, like, there was, like, not really exaggerating, at least two or three people at okay. all times talking at me, and I didn't mind that, I like the kind of, like, fast-paced stuff, it, just, it makes me not bored, it gives me more of a chance to improv, and it, it involves me more in the game, like, one of the things with 
fourth edition when I'd get kind of bored is because everyone's sort of in a party doing their thing or whatever. And if you guys were role-playing between each other, not that it's bad, but just as a GM, I didn't really have anything um, to do when there were no NPCs there. So I just sort of sit aside and watch what was happening. Uh, in Eclipse phase, you guys are sort of a lot more spread out. That's right now, right? Because like it's like the first game. I have to say, like the first game was sort of slow in terms of like paced pacing of what we were doing. But I think it's because one, we were all trying to figure out the system and, and exactly like what checks we had to do for certain things, and also like our characters have c completely different backgrounds and completely different personalities. And it's sort of, it's a lot harder, I think, in Eclipse Phase to just, like, in D&D, in it's sort of like, hey, here's the new person in your party. Party just picks him up and goes along and doesn't even care, like, what his background is. Whereas in this one, it's sort of like, you have the paranoid aspect, like, like Calvin, he doesn't want anyone to know who his character is or, like, what mm. his background is or, like, even what his name is. And then you have, like, the Dan, who was, like, a drug addict, but none of us know that except for maybe Ali because she's a dealer or whatever. And... Then you have Kyle, who's, like, this mercenary guy. Like, we all have our completely separate personalities and backgrounds, and then we're sort of being thrust together as a group. So, I mean, I think the, the first session, at least, was kind of slow. We were all trying to figure things out. I think maybe the, when we actually get into the meeting with um, this crim criminal lord or whatever, yeah, it might be, it might work out, uh, like, you know, it might be a little more cohesive and, and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, if you're going to be playing in the Quick Start adventure, there's some spoilers because I'm running the quick start as the first uh, thing. So I, there probably won't be too much this podcast for sure because they're not very far in the actual adventure because I did some stuff beforehand for like my campaign more than what was actually in the quick start for an intro. But uh, like mentioning the name Grey Zoo is kind of a spoiler in some ways. I have to say that the checks too was like kind of like the hacking check. Like, good thing I have a really good uh, InfoSec uh, ability because I, I didn't really didn't expect to. I mean, I think... It's realistic in the fact that you'd have to, like, smash through all these different firewalls, like, if you were hacking into something, like, in real life, you would. But I just, like, you're so used to doing, like, one check for something in D&D, &D, right? And then you're like, yeah, I passed, woo well, I failed. And this one, it's like, oh, I passed, sweet. And then you're like, no, another one. You're like, okay, oh, I passed. And then you're, like, hanging by the seat of your pants, hoping that you're going to pass and not get found out, which I think is, it makes it a little bit more suspenseful. I, I like that. Well, it's, a, it's actually a, a lot, it's kind of similar to what would be, like, a skill challenge in 4th edition, but hacking itself is actually more structured out than combat in Eclipse Phase. Like, it has tons of stuff, and depending on how well you pass or fail your text bar, there's different uh, margins that will put you in different categories of being, like, monitored or yeah, whether the computer knows you're there. Like, yeah. They knew I was there, but... But uh, they didn't know no, that you exactly. were hacking, yeah. but if something had started happening, they might have been able to see your yeah, user account yeah. doing stuff. Which is neat. I mean, yeah, there, there's it's very in-depth... Uh, and definitely, I would say that characters are going to want to hack. I'm actually surprised there wasn't more hacking in that game. Well, that's my character, so I mean... But I thought it was really nice, like, just, like, two, two D, D10s, or the, the percentile and the, the D10. That makes it really, really fast. Like, to, for us to do the five hacking checks, literally, it took, like, what... 15 20 seconds to do it yeah and i knew what i knew exactly what skill i was putting it towards so it was like really easy to figure it out like you know if i passed or if i failed or, or whatnot so I, I like that too that's the, the most major complaint i've received feedback wise is the amount of rolling and um like dan was complaining about that but i don't know if, like when i talked to him it didn't sound like he was complaining like towards a gm aspect it's just i sort of gave the option to roll your reputation check and go by that or to do some role playing for how you're searching for the information and then either like if it makes enough sense you just get the information or if it 
still like the what you're trying to do probably wouldn't work then you still need to do a roll but maybe give a bit of a modifier on it or what like that but uh yeah dan was complaining that people weren't role playing uh their checks yeah, enough there he doing wasn't the check. either really well he tried he tried that that was the one thing like, he, he went tried with one guy and he fit like and then you made him roll for it because he wasn't even being really convincing well he, he one he wasn't being convincing <clears throat> two uh, Dan was like, well, Adam didn't give me his background, but uh, Dan also didn't give me his background, so and he I was didn't just know who the a random was. drug dealer, like hoping yeah. that he would know about the mass, drug dealer wasn't weapons of destruction or whatever. The, if it is, that yeah, and the drug dealer wasn't from where the crime was happening. He had no reason, as far as I knew, unless Dan's backgrounds otherwise, which I didn't have. <laughs> to, like he, he had no reason to know this sort of stuff. So I sort of took it as okay, he can help you investigate, but make the rule, and that will determine how much help you get and the information that you guys can find together and I'll give you a modifier or whatever. And Eclipse Phase works a percentile dice system like we were talking about. So you make a, a roll and it has to be under your your uh, your skill level. Like if your skill's at 40%, then you have to go under 40%. And he rolled a 98 and his skill really wasn't that high. Is that high considered anymore. a crit? Or uh, just no, crit crit critical like critical fail. That is a that is a what he rolled was a margin of failure because there's sort of two types of crit. There's critical when you roll doubles. Yeah. That's a critical either failure or success depending on whether you succeed or fail. Oh, okay. But then there's uh, margins of success or margins of failure, which are sort of like you did better than just succeed or you did worse than just failing. Okay. And he definitely had a margin of failure. <laughs> I actually think he had two. Uh, well, you kept rolling ninety eight the whole time. Every yeah. like two or three times. And so basically, my solution was because I've been reading a lot of Mouse Guard, and in Mouse Guard when you fail something most of the time you don't just fail like something happens you're encouraged to put a condition on the player or to add a twist at the failure that makes well, it harder so. yeah i think it's just sort of like it makes role-playing more interesting yeah. but like what i did because i didn't know i didn't have his background so i didn't really know anything about the character or anything like that and i figured okay he's a drug he's gonna have some sort of debt so i said that the the guy uh, said that, oh, well, why would I help you look when you owe me all this money for drugs or whatever, right? And then uh, he, he didn't go along with it. He kind of just said, like, oh, I don't owe you any money. And that was sort of the end of that. And from there on, he just did checks like everyone else. But, like, I don't have a problem with that because the checks move the game along pretty fast. And it kind of gives people the option to stop and roleplay what they want to stop and roleplay. And a lot of reputation checks... I don't, like, think they could be role-played because a lot of what a reputation check is is just simply asking for a favor on the community yeah. or, like, posting something on a form or yeah, reading something like, like a Facebook. Yeah, out or, hoping you get enough hits yeah. from, like, people who, like, know who you are. You can definitely go the role-playing route. Like, in the Quick Adventure, it says you can do this via rep or role-playing, but people just chose the rep route because I guess they thought it was faster and more successful. In actuality, the amount you guys were failing rep I didn't even have a rep like, <laughs> towards it, so I did my one like, scientist rep, and I passed that, but it didn't give me any. Yeah, I'm any thinking help, I might so. let people switch up some of their skills because, like, Kelvin not knowing what was. Well, he did. He switched hacking. up. He yeah. switched up hacking. But I mean, I'm not going to switch up. Like, uh, the only thing I would switch up is what networking I I took. I mean, that would be the only thing. But I put all my points everywhere that I like. If I had to switch things up now, well, I, I think the thing is that Kelvin wants his character to just be all around good. But you can't. Like, you just yeah, you can't do it with the amount of skills that are in the game. Like he switched his engineering. Well, I mean, no, he could. Like at a point in the game when he's like okay, yeah, when you're high level, high level, yeah. But at, at first level, you have to choose like what you want to be good at. You can't be like good at combat, good at hacking, good at disguise, good at infiltration, good at like everything. You have to like pick and choose. That's why we're in a group, right? Like that's the whole point of having a group. Hopefully, you're gonna have different players that have different skills. And and point. now he switched his engineering to information security for hacking. But the, what I told him originally was the engineering would be 
useful in doing the actual process to overload the engines or to do like the the stuff with the engines of the and ship. He knew I'm so now he's going to be able to hack. And, and he knew I'm the hacker, but I think I the fact is that he wants to be able to hack in and then destroy the ship. And I, he knows like I'm not going to like my. Well, there are the, there's probably some self destruct stuff, but probably higher security levels, yeah. and then he'll have well, to. His hacking skill, I think, is only fifty five yeah. plus the minus uh, twenty that you gave to us. Yeah. Or whatever. So. So I, I think he's going to expect that he can hack in and do the engineering stuff that I said he could do. But if he switched his engineering, then he's not going to have the engineering yeah. stuff. So I don't know. Um, uh, like, I think part, part of the point in the game, like, part of the reason people have to come together as a team, because there are a lot of very individual motivations, unless you purposely go in with character creation, thinking, like, okay, all of us want to reclaim Earth, then you can have a party that has, like, a dead-on motivation they always follow, but for the most part, I'm pretty sure most games in this are going to be uh, firewall agents with pretty individual motivations, with a couple lining up, and I think one of the ways that you people are forced together is things like you being able to hack, and then him being able to do the yeah, engineering like, aspect and stuff like, like that. Like you said, like Kyle's character is this like mercenary who can sort of like do whatever he needs to do with himself. Like that could potentially be useful later on, which I think in our next game will I think come to more fruition because we'll actually be like in a meeting together and barring any hitches or whatever end up, ends up happening I think it'll be uh, it'll make it'll come to a point where we all have to choose like what skills we're going to use to like help 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 out the situation so well I I also think that Kyle already needed someone else with him when he was doing stuff when he went to uh yeah but he didn't want him he, he's like you don't even he, see me on the he's ship he's basically playing he's playing an assassin <clears throat> kind of and uh they're on Mars and he was able to search the criminal networks for someone to do a hit on, which was to make this, some money, this yeah. weapons dealer. So I'm like, okay, yeah, like I, like I gave, I gave him who the hit would be on and stuff like that. And like, I mean, it's interesting. It's a good character thing. Like, I, I don't mind as long as it's not distracting too much from the campaign or whatever. And um, he went. He rolled investigation. He didn't really like actually try and check around anything. I, I let him roll investigation to try and investigate if he wanted. And he failed horribly. So he didn't find out any information. And um, Instead of doing any more investigation or trying to do anything else, he basically just walked into the pet shop this guy was using as a front for his weapons blue blueprints dealing, and um, he goes, tricks the guy into taking the, him into the back to show him his wares and kills the guy. But the problem is, like, in Eclipse Phase, it's futuristic. There's security cameras, like, everywhere. This is a store. There's obviously security cameras in a store in the future, and... Um, he did absolutely nothing to cover any of his tracks at all, which, I mean, is a, is going to be a, an issue later on. And I don't know if he had the hacking skills to even cover his tracks. So in situations like that, it would be beneficial for him to try and get someone who has those sort of skills and maybe split the money with them or things like that. And I, I think that's a good way I'll be able to involve other characters if he's trying to go off and do stuff like that by himself or he'll have to pick very select missions and then there won't be as many side things for him to do because he won't be able to do them without getting caught. I think another thing that's really good about this, I think it's getting people to like role play their characters a lot. Like at least for our first game, it worked out really, really well. Like I didn't do a lot of it because my character is like very loner based and basically all my stuff had to be checks because I'm like a hacker. I like look through information on a network, but like, like Kyle who most of the time in D&D is off with Adam talking about God knows what. He like literally 
most of the time was doing his role playing, like trying to do that that hit, and he was asking you information on the next one that was on the ship and everything like that. And like while he was doing that, our group, like Dan called us over, and our group like was like talking between communication, like about where we were gonna meet mm-hmm. the next day and everything. Got Adam involved, it got Ali involved, it got Dan and me involved, and then Calvin. Calvin like, was doing more. Yeah. yeah, Calvin was doing his role playing, like he was trying to make his checks with the criminal network, give us information. Like we even got into it with him about like him wanting to like blow up the ship, and Dan and I like being angry about it because. That's not the way our characters are. Dan, you know, talking to Ali about, like, the drugs. They had, like, their little druggy conversation or whatever because she's a dealer, apparently. So, I mean, yeah. like... Well, and even I, Ali then went to look for cheaper drugs while she was on the show. Yeah, and, like, I, I thought, I, like, just for, for the first session, I hope it, it stays that way. It really got us to, like, play our characters... Um, the way that we wrote them out rather than in D&D like we had these backgrounds written out but then as soon as we got into a group it was sort of like oh well I'll go this way we won't even bother to try and role play and we won't even think up like ways to do anything we'll just like sort of hope that we can hack and slash our way through everything so I think this one it's sort of like like I as soon as I got on the ship I like went into their systems and like you know, it makes you, it forces you to think of what equipment you need to bring with you, because I think a lot in D&D, half the time, I think we were, like, out of rations a lot of, like, we never even really thought about, especially what we needed to take with us on missions, you know, and this one, I had to have fiber optic cable and stuff like that in order to, like, connect myself to their system and stuff like that, so I think it really makes you get into the game and forces you to to be a player in the game, you can't just sort of sit on the sidelines and hope everything goes your way. I think it's one of the the big things about 4th edition, because, like, as much as people say, like, you're in a role-playing game, you can do whatever you want like the system does make a difference and third edition was a lot more like eclipse phase it wasn't as much uh focused on making sure you had motivations and stuff like that because motivations actually built into eclipse phase but in in third edition like items mattered a lot more and like not like super powerful items but mundane items and stuff like that and skills were more important i find than they are in a lot of fourth edition stuff except for skill challenges but even that is like less role play when you're doing anything like that. I think that like yeah you can't you could run fourth edition extremely uh role play, but like the system itself just sort of already starts you like bent on a on a more uh, combat oriented since like everything your character has is combat oriented. Uh, I think another thing about Eclipse Phase that I like too is you you can't again like in D D you're like this uh overpowered character that you, you can pretty much make it through a battle, like, relatively unscathed, like, if, you're, if your team is, you know, relatively smart or whatever. And this one, you can't, like, you can't just, like, run in and hope to go, like, blasters of firing. Like, I have literally no skill with my, like, the chances of me hitting with my pistol in my roll, I think, is, like, 35 or something like that. Like, not very good. Like, you know, mm-hmm. 65% chance I'm not going to hit anything. Um, and if you do hit, it takes up a lot of damage. So, you know, if an enemy's attacking you with, like, some rifle, you're not just going to be able to stand there and take, like, six or seven turns worth of hits. Like, and you don't have, like, a medic that can just be like, hey, cure, you're, you're all okay. So, <clears throat> I think it really makes you, like, look into what skills you need to do to get away with certain things without having to get into conflict. And it really makes you, like, think, like... You know, when I was starting to hack and stuff like that, and you said I was being monitored, like, I had to really be smart about it. I couldn't be like, oh, okay, I'm just going to, like, keep trying to get through and get through and, and possibly get the system, like, tracking me or whatever, because I, I don't want that. I want to try and, and mitigate, like, any kind of damage that's going to happen to me, to my reputation and everything like that. And I think, I think in terms of our group, it's going to make us a lot of a lot smarter. Like, we're not just going to be able to, like, run in and, and just go guns blazing, because a lot of our characters, I think, like, I, maybe Kyle's is really good with weapons, and, and Calvin might be, but I don't know if Dan and Allie, I know I'm not, I don't think Adam, Adam said he's a pretty, like, normal guy. Yeah. So, so, like, 
for almost more than half of our group or maybe half of our group isn't good with weapons so I think it'll make us really like strategize as to what we're going to do one of the things uh, Dan brought up to me earlier this week was he said like oh well we can't die like we're always going to have backups we're always going to have like uh, our like um, cortical stack implants so like we might even just be able to be brought right back from the point where we were and and I was sort of like Okay, well, I don't think that's very much different than D&D, because in D&D, if you're any, like, significant level, you have resurrection spells or things like that, and you come back uh, in 4th edition, you just have a couple of minuses or whatever for a couple of encounters, and then you're back to normal. But in Eclipse phase, like, m- metagame-wise, it's actually way worse, yeah. because if you die and you, don't, and you have to come back from your backup, you lose all your experience, a whole bunch of your items, you lose, like, tons you of crap everything that was die. installed in your morph. Yeah. You, you might not even have a morph, like, the next time you come back, because if you don't have It costs you a lot of money yeah, and experience. Yeah, they're expensive. They're, like, 20,000 credits for, like, a decent morph. I think this is the... You f- might be stuck as an infomorph, which means you're stuck, like, basically in a computer system until you can find a, a body to, to get in. Like, yeah, you get to play as the same character, but really, like, where does that get you? You've lost, like, everything. I think it, I think it would be harder starting that than, like, creating a new character in D&D with, like, all these magic weapons starting at, like, you know, 10th yeah. level where you get a weapon one level greater or the same level and then one level less. Like, you don't get any of that. You start and you have the credits that that you had when you died and the whatever body you might, you might have stored for yourself or whatever and, like, whatever less uh, realistic experience you have. So, I mean, I have the Farcaster thing, so it would be 48 hours less unless, yeah. unless DM decides or GM decides that that doesn't work or whatever in the case of our starting yeah know. well that was one of the that reasons that makes sense though I mean at, I understand at the, beginning of, at the beginning of my mission that was one of the reasons why I had someone like die like a final death where their backup couldn't be recovered to yeah. show that there is still like people do yeah. still die completely at some points in the in um this like campaign or whatever and um I think that uh systems where you lose experience and you die just generally suck and that from a metagame point of view, that's very true. In-game, f- for reasons for not losing the fear of, of death, I would think that some people in-game might lose a bit of their fear of death. Like, they're, in Club Series, they definitely give examples of people who, like, kill themselves for a thrill or whatever. But it also causes you mental stress, which, like, is a game mechanic. So, again, that's kind of out of character. But that mental stress is impacting your character's mind in character. Like, it's, like, the whole point of it is that it's not fun to be someone who's stressed out or going insane or things like that. So, remembering your death or, like, missing a whole bunch of your time because you're coming back from a backup isn't pleasant in character. So, and you're not going to want to die in character or out of character. And that's another thing, like, I really like in, in this, where it's, like, GURPS, where you have your disadvantages and you you choose like my character is OCD so no one noticed it last game because I was like doing it but everyone was off in their own like little conversations and stuff but I was acting totally OCD and I had my Irish accent which everyone laughed at but at least I stayed in character okay that was like the first game I stayed pulling her but uh, like I was supposed to be schizophrenic I think yeah so I mean like if she plays it up to like the way she she could like that's a really interesting dynamic like if Dan doesn't get his drugs, like, if he really plays it up, like, it can make for a really interesting role-playing, like, game experience, you know, so I think the, these kinds of things, like, the disadvantages that you have and, and stuff like that, especially, like, mental disabilities or stuff that makes you, like, if you're supposed to get really scared in a certain, like, uh, like, if something happens or something like that, I think you can really, really make interesting role-playing experiences. Now, I, I have to hope that our group is able to do that, but 
I think they they are because I remember our GURPS game. Everyone role played like really well that game. I think you know, like even Allie, like she was real, like she was supposed to be the gruff, outspoken uh, warder, but she, and 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 she did. She played it up to that way, and she was like, you know, she often her mouth got her into trouble and stuff like that. So I think this game might make her sort of come out of her shell a little bit more. I don't know, but I think also though one of the reasons why the Wheel of Time game worked so well for. Uh uh, role playing was because it's just so much smaller than like what, regular four, you mean games. Four people? We had, yeah, we had like four players. Whereas we really have like uh, six actually we had five, didn't we? Yeah, we had five because well, Matt maybe. Matt was in it too. We yeah, we normally have six or seven. Yeah, like, otherwise, yeah, so true. it kind of like bogs that down. Uh, did you want to talk? Any is there anything else you have to say about Clips or Did you want to? No, no. I I I guess we have to wait until we play some more of it. Like I said, I yeah. think we're like first game. We're getting sort of into the game mechanics and everything like that. And you know, we're you're making a lot of checks on like the the GM screen to like make sure that you're getting the rolls right and everything like that. So I think it, the next game probably it'll go a little bit smoother, especially now that our group is going to be sort of getting together and stuff. So yeah. Oh yeah, and tip for tip for the frugal player. I I made my own GM screen with the clips phase. You can you can download their GM screen in the Adventure Glory from things like Drive Through RPG. I think it costs. Uh, there's two versions. One that comes with uh, the InDesign files for Adobe for editing, so you can change around the GM screen however you want. And another that is just the final uh, like PDF versions or whatever. But it's also still for those of you who don't know, Clipspace is under the Creative Commons license, and it's technically free to distribute. Um, so if you download a torrent from Clipspace, as long as they put the Creative Commons license in the torrent, it's perfectly legal to have that uh, copied version of Eclipse Phase. So, since I didn't want to pay for a gem screen that, I I did that you have to print out yourself, because personally I find that a little bizarre. I did buy the book because I, de I definitely want to support Catalyst and Eclipse Phase, but I'm not paying like 10 bucks for a gem screen that I have to print out. So, I, I got it Creative Commonsly, and... Um, what I did was I went to the dollar store, just got some uh, foam core board that has paper on either side. Uh, they also sell, the, uh, at least at the dollar store I was at, they sold this um, plastic stick-on stuff. It's sort of like instant laminate. You're supposed to actually put it around textbooks to protect the covers, but... Uh, oh, that's where I remember it, it from. Yeah. <laughs> I used to use it all my textbooks. So I just shoved that on. Uh, I just printed out the, sh the piece of paper for the GM screen, uh, pasted them down onto the foam core board, uh, covered it in the... Uh, laminate stuff and cut it out and it's a pretty decent gem screen you might want to measure a bit better than I did because it doesn't really fold up that nice but uh, it, $2.50 $2, right? to, to get the gem screen for it um, alright I guess next thing to talk about is now that I've more read the anima rules I've actually made my character and also since you're running the anima game and I don't know when the next time I'll have you on the podcast is or whatever we haven't played yet but we could talk a bit about our impressions of the system so far, and if you want a bit about your campaign, you can give an overview of your campaign if you want. Ah, uh, yeah, my campaign that took me a year to write. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my campaign is called Fading Veils. So basically, my um, my influences are. I, I was always interested in Norse mythology, so I used a lot of like Norse um, myth. Like uh, in Norse mythology, they have the three different planes. Um, so I sort of took that idea and made my own world. So you've got a plane for the gods called Alcard. You've got the uh, the two um, mainland planes, which are where like the humans and the different races live. Um, like most of the different races live, they're called uh, Debril and uh, the Moro Deep. And then you've got another plane where the the giants live. It's called Gaia. And then you've got the like the underworld, which is called Zeal. 
And, uh, and I just took a lot of different influences. Uh, I mean, I obviously, I watch a lot of anime and stuff like that. I play, like, obviously. a lot of... You <laughs> can tell that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I play a lot of, like, uh, RPGs, so, like, Final Fantasy is a big influence for me. Um, so, I took, I, I have this idea of, uh, there, there are these gods of Alcard, and they were created by this, this main entity called On, and, um, he created the world of Corinth, which all these planes are located on, and, um... The gods got into a war. Uh, they were tricked by the god of um, by the god of mischief, uh, Loki, and um, and basically what he did was he tricked them into fighting each other because he wanted the, the power of the gods. He wanted to be the head god, and so they split apart. So now you've got um, the the gods of I guess light uh, living in Alcard and the exiled gods of darkness now living down in Zeal with the king of the underworld, Abaddon, and the, or the nine archdemons. Uh, that rule down there with him, and basically they're constantly trying to come into the mainland and uh, gain control of the tree uh, Yggdrasil, which uh, is like the tree of life, and many people will know that name from Norse mythology. Um, and that tree basically gives life to the entire planet and stuff like that. I don't want to reveal too much because then my players will know exactly. <laughs> you can reveal as much as you want. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, <laughs> but but basically, it's it's going to be a game where they start in this world, and and um, the the conflict between the gods is going to be happening, and they're just they're they're going to have to take some part in it. And there's going to be a lot of other things happening, and I think it'll be really interesting. And I originally was going to run it in fourth edition. Um, because that's the, the game I started role-playing on. I, I only started, what, about a year? A year almost two now. Is it almost two now? Yeah, um, actually, Player's Handbook 3 just came out, so it's pretty much two years. Okay, exactly. so two years, but I started on 4th edition, and we just finished our 4th edition campaign, and I've only really played, I played, like, a 3rd edition, uh, or 3.5. Well, it was Arcana Evolved, actually. Oh, no, you played, you're talking about Kyle's game. Yeah, Kyle's game. I played a 3.5 Eberron game. I played the Arcana Evolved. Um, we've done, like, small world of darkness like yeah. adventure things we <laughs> did like a 3.5 star wars thing but i mean my, oh yeah i forgot yeah oh, my, my main uh, my main area of of knowledge has been from fourth edition so when i started running my campaign i thought okay i'll do it in fourth edition i wanted to do 3.5 because i like the skills but i was told by peter here that uh well i said if you're gonna do dod you might as well do yeah. fourth if it's your first time jamming because as much as i prefer 3.5 over fourth there is absolutely zero question in my mind that is like at least two times easier to GM 4th edition than it is 3rd. So I started uh, reading up on 4th and everything like that while I was writing my campaign, and um, and I thought I was going to have it done a lot faster, but life gets in the way. So uh, as uh, as I started getting closer to finishing and, and everything, um, Peter let me know that uh, a while back that he had read this uh, system called Anima and said it was a lot like Final Fantasy-esque and had like anime like artwork and stuff like that it sort of takes from those kinds of ideas so I figured I'd look at it and and just to see what it was all about and when I started reading it I was like okay you know what this has like tons of skills this is exactly what I want because I don't like combat I really actually hate combat well to be fair Anima has a lot like Anima is oh, definitely yeah. a very com like you can do very good combat no I'm not no it's, it's got a, a very um, thorough combat system. I won't. I won't it's got deny a thorough it. system for everything. Yeah, <laughs> but but it has a lot of like. I find in fourth edition, like we had that problem where uh, Adam was a wizard and he was a better tracker than uh, Calvin's uh, Calvin's ranger. So in this, you kind of can't, it's very difficult to do that. So I know that I'll have a lot of characters who like the role that they pick and the and the race that they choose will be very role play oriented towards whatever focus they pick for their character. In this, actually, if you are trying to use a skill that you're not trained in, you get minus you 30 get minus thirty to your roles. Yeah. 
So that works really, really well for me. So I can basically expect that we have a group of many different characters, and I'm not going to have three people saying, okay, when I say, like, roll up perception check or whatever it is. Well, no perception you will. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, I don't know, like an arcane check or something like that, or an occult check. I'm not going to have, you know, um, a rogue looking, well, unless I guess he's an occultist or something like that, but I'll yeah. probably more have the religion people like a paladin or something like that look into that. So I think it'll be a lot more balanced in, in terms of that. And I like role-playing more, so I'll be able to, there's like a ton of skills in this book. So I'll be able to role-play more to the skills than to the combat. Obviously I'm going to have combat, but it's not going to be as um, as in-depth as it is in like 4th edition. There's tons of combat in 4th edition. So. Actually, to tell you the truth... At uh, least in the pre-made adventures. It's like every if, second step you take. If you, have, if you have... Yeah, in 4th fourth, fourth edition, pre, a lot of the pre-made adventures are just purely dungeon crawl. Yeah. But the actual system for this, you can pretty much, like, it basically has its own system for making things very similar to 4th edition powers. So you can... You, it, it's like it has all the stuff 3rd edition had, and then it also has <coughs> stuff for making powers similar to 4th edition. So you could make a very dungeon crawly, very combat-oriented anima game, I think, but it also but then has, that, so. like, herb lore, history, and appraisal, and medicine, and navigation And I've, I've told my players, too, thing. that I'm not focusing on a ton of combat, so, like, to, to give their characters the skills that they, like, feel that their characters would need in terms of role-playing, because combat, yeah, it'll play a part in, it's going to play a part in any RPG that you create, but it's not going to have this huge impact as, as much as it is in 4th in edition. So, um, yeah, I mean, the system is really in-depth. Uh, yeah, it's a lot, a lot of charts. Yeah. It, um, one thing I think it suffers from is that there isn't really, uh, it's not as unified as uh, a D20 game would be. Uh, or especially 4th edition. 4th edition, if you're a wizard, you're rolling the same thing for your spell as a fighter. You have some minor differences with the new PHP 3 stuff, like uh, Scions have their augments and stuff like that, but generally it's still a unified system. In this game, you can be... Um, you can use battle techniques, so that has its own system. Uh, uh, you can use key focus powers, which has its own system. You can use Sonics, which has its own system. And you can use Magic, which also has its own system. Um... <laughs> Generally, like all your skills and your attack are kind of uh, are unified in a, a D one hundred role, but it's not a percent based system. So essentially, what it comes down to is you're rolling a, a D one hundred and adding. So it's got almost a DC system like D twenty. And the numbers can get pretty high, and also you, you have what's called like open rolls and fumbles. So if you open roll, like uh, I think it's like between I think it's ninety nine and a hundred, or maybe ninety eight to no, I think it's ninety nine and a hundred. And I think if uh, you can like bring it down to like but by ninety five, I think if you take like certain advantages or something like that. Oh, are you talking about the when you roll again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's got so exploding dice, add, yeah. and, and like fumbles, or I think if you get like a one to a three or something like that, you fumble and you take minuses to roll. So I mean, there's a lot of adding. Uh, and it can, you can get pretty high numbers, I think, in, in this one, like up to like 250, 300. Yeah. Um, so uh, that can, I, I, I can see how that can be kind of confusing. The other thing was, um, I was like, Kyle was kind of trying to make his character the other night, and and I thought that they, because I, I hadn't like read the, I'm, I'm on chapter 9 or 10 or something like that, and, and like reading through the book, and, yeah. and I, I thought that they had an idea where, like in D&D, they tell you sort of um, what stats you should put your, no, your, this... thing, your, your stuff towards if you want a specific class, and in this they don't, so you sort of have to just go in blindly and be like, okay, well I want a fighter, so I'm assuming that a fighter's 
just going to need like strength and dex. This is very down. read the entire book. Yeah. If you're not if you're not being a mage or a scion or a summoner, there's also summoning. I forgot to mention that. If you're not being one of those classes, leave out those sections, but read everything else in the book before you start making a character because you won't know what the heck to do. Yeah. It's the book's not laid out well. It doesn't have an index. It's missing the helmet cost. Yeah, it's it's missing certain things like helmet costs, which I found on the on a forum on Fantasy Flight. The makers of this game and i have to say generally i like uh, i like um fantasy flight stuff they have a uh, some like dark heresy is obviously awesome uh lots of people like dark heresy yeah um they uh they make pretty good living card game stuff uh, lots of expensive board games if that's what you're into uh but cool board games nonetheless this um they actually don't, didn't make this game themselves. They bought it from a Spanish company, and that <clears throat> might be part of the issue because I've heard that the French version also has a lot of the same issues as the English version. So I don't know how much of the editing they did themselves, but this the book is not well done. Like, not that it's not bound nicely, although I've heard complaints about it falling apart online. Uh, they don't have an index, uh, and they're missing stuff. Yeah, the index was a real problem because we were like trying to look up the helmet stuff today, actually, and uh, I, I went to the back, and I was like, what the hell? And it's like, what is it, 300 and something pages? Like, 320 pages or yeah. something like that? And you have no index to tell you where certain things are? Like, I'm gonna have to hope when my characters ask me something, I can remember the page that, like, when I play It's also not necessarily logically laid out as to where things will be. So, it, it definitely, and with the amount of charts that are in the game, that I'm picturing this being a situation where you, after the first couple of games, you figure out what charts you're gonna need and you print them out because. Uh, it, Thankfully, I did buy the uh, I did buy the GM screen, so I'll have those uh, for me at least, so that I can help people like look things up and stuff like that, which is nice. But there are a lot of charts and a lot of numbers. To remember. Um, the uh, the classes, their themes are not very well explained. Uh, one thing that I find really bizarre is you can pick the wizard class and make a wizard, and if you don't take the advantage, the gift, which is the advantage which gives you magic, your wizard can do pretty much nothing. Are you serious? Yes. That doesn't come with your class? No, you need to take the advantage, the gift, to cast spells, but you could technically... And it doesn't say anywhere in the book that the wizard doesn't naturally cast spells necessarily. It's sort of reference that you need the gift later on. I had to look up online for rules clarifications to find out if you actually needed to take advantage still. Because it doesn't say that the wizards inherently get the gift, just that you need the gift. So yes, you do need to take an advantage. So same with like summoners and... Uh, summoners don't need the gift. What about warlock? Warlock, anything that casts magic does. Summoners are their own system. They don't need the gift. Um, And uh, Psionics is the same. You need to take the Psionic advantages to use Psionics. See, I read over this like a while back, and I can't even remember. I'm going to have to go back and read it. We're supposed to be making it It doesn't say. It doesn't say that when you get to the... That's what inherently came with the class. When you get to the magic section, it says you need the gift. And I had assumed, okay, well, you need the gift. Whatever wizard should automatically have the gift. But it wasn't until I was reading some stuff online that people were saying, no, 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 wizards don't have the gift. You have to take the gift advantage as one of your advantages to be able to cast spells. So there are, there's lots of places that definitely could use some clarification. Um, for instance, the paladin. I made a paladin for this game. And there's a, you can take an advantage to get what is called like Elan uh, favoritism, I guess, or whatever. And that's sort of like you gain favor of a god. And that's kind of... 
you get powers very similar to what a paladin in D&D would get. So basically, if you're playing a paladin without taking that advantage, you're a fighter and probably a bit crappier of a fighter <laughs> with some ability to banish spirits, but otherwise like a crappier fighter. And like you definitely, there are definitely paladins that don't need to take that advantage. You can play a paladin without that, but personally, I don't see the point. And there's absolutely no mention of Elan except for the one advantage that gives you it. And towards the end of the book... I think it might even be in the GM section. They describe the gods uh, and what they uh, give to you when you have a land favoritism and the system for handing out that favoritism because any character can get it and you should give it out if they're worshipping a god. And uh, It's kind of weird. But um, the actual system itself, if you don't mind something that's kind of complicated, I think it actually does a fairly good job of representing combat. Basically the way... Uh, it's very realistic. In a, the way an attack works is you have... Uh, you're, you have your attack rule, which is opposed by a block or a dodge, and the degree to which you overcome that block or dodge rule, the enemy is, uh, or, or the other person you're uh, facing uh, is rolling against you, uh, is an indicator of how much damage you're going to do uh, that's also based on armor. So basically you have a table that says, like, okay, I beat this guy by 30 on my roll, his armor is 2, then you'll cross-check those two things, and you get, okay, I do 110% damage or something like that. That's just an example. I'm not actually looking at the graph, so it's wrong. But um, then I find that very realistic because then your accuracy on your swing and their ability to block and their armor all factor into how much you're hurting them. So it's kind of complicated. It's not as complicated as it sounds because you just really need the table to look down. And also on your character sheet, you uh, write out the damages at the different percents you're going to do beforehand, so you can quickly look up the percent of your Also, the base fact damage. that uh, if you attack someone and uh, they defend, um, and they defend the attack, it, whether they defend it or don't defend it, they um, by defending it, they might not be able to do another attack because they took up like all their energy, like actually defending an attack. Or if they do a counter attack to that attack, like if you defend and you, uh, pass the defense, you can um, you can come up with a counter attack and attack the person yeah. back. And, and you, you actually use that counter attack. You actually use up your act, like you have active and passive actions. You actually use up your active action, which I think is neat. So you can't just you know you can't just defend counter attack and then continue on with your attack. Like that uses up your action for the turn. One of the benefits to a counter attack is if if you've been able to block uh, well enough, you'll get a bonus to your counterattack back. So it's actually better than a regular attack because I guess the person's left themselves open doing such a shitty attack that you're able to block or uh, such like that. Yeah, there's some pretty neat. It's kind of um, kind of complicated in some ways. I like magic. Magic works. Oh, there's based so much magic. Magic oh works based off. It's so much psycho uh, psychokinesis powers or yeah. whatever. There are so many powers in this. It's like, I have to say, it's very thorough, and they've thought up a lot of stuff, and, and I really like, like the tree of magic that you have. And if stuff you're like into min-maxing, or like number crunching, or you want a <coughs> magic system that's kind of reminiscent of something like a Final Fantasy, where you have mana, kind of, and you also have to charge up, like it takes varying amount of times to cast different spells, or things like that, um, like it's definitely something to look into. It definitely has a very anime feel. It has a built-in 
campaign world as well, which we're not using, but... And they um, actually, I bought the uh, supplement guide to the the GM Masters, whatever it's called, the Game Masters Kit or whatever, and they actually have, like, a, like a quick start adventure and stuff like that, but yeah. I'm using my own world and stuff, so I won't be using that. But I, I may be able to use ideas from it and stuff like that. I don't know. I haven't really looked through it yet. Um, I think the character creation is going to take a while, though, to explain. Um, character creation, I read through the book once and then a second time sort of skimming the sections I know I'd use and because you like Dan Calvin Calvin's well, I'm, not I'm giving an example of how long this took <laughs> so I read the whole book once actually okay I read through the book before when I first found it but when uh, I found out we were playing I bought the book and read through it again So, but I didn't remember very much stuff so I read through the book once and <laughs> sort of read through half of the book again skimming the sections I'd need and then went to do character creation and character creation probably took me about an hour and a half and I had a solid character concept going in, so it wasn't like I was trying to decide too much stuff. That's just how long it took. If you like number crunching or something with a lot of meat, um, something that kind of... I wouldn't say necessarily exactly realistically portrays combat. It's kind of over-the-top anime style in some ways, but if you're looking for something with like an in-depth uh, combat system, but still also very in-depth skill system and... Um, the ability to have sonics and magic and stuff like basically this is kind of like to me a D&D alternative it's like uh D&D with a little more customization a little more uh complication in it and a little more breadth in uh role playing aspects too and then like a built in uh, a more thoroughly built in world yeah i just i hope that this doesn't like totally bomb for my first, like, this is my first I would definitely favorite. say this is probably a pretty hard system to jump yeah. the first time. So, I mean, if it goes Which okay. I, I'd like to point out that I mentioned uh, prior to her buying the book, but you didn't listen. Yeah, I like a challenge. I, another thing, if you, if you kind of like the flavor of Anima, but you want something uh, easier and more... Uh, less crunchy, exalted. more fluffy. Exalted is yeah. uh, Exalted's a uh, kind of like so the same thing. But Exalted is very, very tied to its own world. Uh, from what I hear, I, I read the book once, but it was uh, several years ago. Well, the thing, the thing is though, for me though, uh, like like I said, a lot of my stuff is going to be skill based, and and I'm forcing you guys like before I even start the game, you guys are going to have to have solid character concepts and um, and good backgrounds for me to to work with because. Yeah. If you don't have that, then it's going to be really difficult for me to, to start anything up. But I think, you know what, I, I think every system, though, like, has has its points where at the beginning you're all like, oh, what the hell's going on, and you don't really know what's 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 happening. I think, you know, if we start playing it for a little while, I, I think at least I'll pick up the, the Game Master aspects of it. I think I should be able to, to figure it out. And, and again, you can always, like, cut out certain things. Like, I've been reading in the book, like, if you don't at first, like you're I would starting definitely to get cut out the advantage. There's advantages that let you boost the amount of experience you get per session to a pretty excessive level. I believe the average experience per session in this is somewhere between fifteen and twenty-five. I think that's yeah. where I read that. But um, you can boost taking advantages. You can boost the amount of experience you get per session by adding an extra nine experience. So you're talking about maybe even half the experience again that you get per yeah. session. I would definitely take that out if I was running. Well, that, that's yeah, that's one that's one thing. But there's also like in terms of combat, like. When we're first starting out, they, they talk about, like, you, you can actually break weapons and stuff like that and break armor and stuff like that. You can tackle a person, like, actually take them down on the ground. You can disarm. You can you strike can do that all in third edition. specific points of the body yeah. and stuff like that. They Like, they say, when you're first starting this, like, 
just do basic combat, get used to that, like, get used to the number crunching of that first, and then you can, like, start having your players, like, specifically try to disarm someone. But I think the rules for disarming in, in third were a lot easier, weren't they? Um, maybe easier to do. I don't know if they, I would definitely say that this is something where, okay, if you hate what happened to 4th edition, if you're like, oh my god, 3.5 is way better because they simplified way too much crap. I wish they'd made stuff more complicated. This is the game you should use. It's basically 3.5 with more crap added in. I, I, I just say crap. I, I actually personally... I, I'm on both sides. I love Mouse Guard. Mouse Guard is the simplest thing you could... Well, maybe not the simplest thing you could ever have, but it's incredibly simplistic rules-wise. I also like Anima, which is... Like the exact opposite side of the spectrum, so um, I guess if, we'll have to wait and see, like yeah, how the game have, goes. Yeah, really, first. you know. I'm gonna talk a little bit about my character because that's what role players do. My, my character for Leah's game is a half giant uh, because basically we we're not actually going to be playing giants. Half giants are kind of like the player character version of a giant yeah, in your world. Yeah, yeah, they're they're called Delcade. Uh, um, basically, my character, I. I played a half giant, or actually I think it's considered a full giant. I used the Arcana Evolved Giant in a Forgotten Realms game that lasted like one session, and I really liked that character. Um, so I thought maybe I'd do something along very similar lines. So I uh, decided to make a paladin uh, half giant, very good, very virtuous, um, but kind of gruff, except for when he gets around kids, and he really likes kids, so he'll like, sit them down and start telling them all, like, just like... Uh, insanely insane stories like oh what is that what is that movie that terry terry gilliam did a movie based off some russian um some russian military guy uh some baron i think it was and and he that whole thing is based off like just like the crazy stories he used to tell kids when he uh when he got back from oh, his fish? missions no no, no 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 terry gilliam big fish was uh tim burton that's right uh um terry gilliam from monty python yeah, who did yeah. that uh one you saw with Kelvin, I think it was. Oh, um, the Imaginary Doctor yeah. Parnassus. Okay. But yeah, he had a movie about this Baron, and it was based off a book that was written about the crazy stories he'd tell, like, just like ludicrous stories, right? Like, oh, I got, like, it, this was in real life, right? He'd go and he'd tell kids that he went on, like, a flying ship and did, like, oh, okay. all this crazy stuff. So I kind of want my giant to tell stories like that, like, just incredibly larger than life. But then it's sort of like my character's huge and giant and got a huge-ass beard and is kind of, like, scary-looking, I guess, or whatever. But he, uh, what he... Around kids, he's got like a really gentle and uh, and kind heart, and in a lot of ways, I'm probably gonna be playing him very much like a Klingon. I'm thinking like the way you describe their like language as like being like very like grunty. Well, you know what I thought of? Well, you know who I thought of when I when I was doing that loyal, right? Oh, yeah, all really? the time because okay. you know, whenever they talk about him, they talk about like like even when he whispers, it sounds like he's speaking in like. I kind of took it the other way <laughs> as like a, a vassal, like sort of like Klingon thing. But well, that's fine. But I mean, yeah. like I, that was the sort of idea I was coming because I remembered always reading Wheel of Time where like loyal would be trying to like speak in normal tones and he'd be like loyal, shh, you know. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm picturing that. Klingon that uh, that comes out like uh, drinking a couple of. But the like, language would probably be harsher, like harsher yeah. tones and stuff like that. In terms I'm, of giant language. I'm like. pitching that Klingon that like comes out like sort of 
a, a bit drunk onto the battlefield and he's like, I'm gonna kill you for, well, maybe not kill because he's a paladin, but like, I'm gonna stop you for like, do, uh, doing wrong or whatever. And he goes out and he has like, honor on the battlefield and stuff like that. And then like, when he goes back, he can still like, give like, laughing and his laughing might be like, so loud and he might be banging on the table <laughs> so much that everyone else around him is like, whoa, this giant is scaring the hell out of us. He's gonna like, go psycho and kill him, but he like, never actually would go psycho or whatever. So, I also make him 19 because I want him fairly young. Like, uh, in his recent past i wanted him to have passed his test for manhood which i came up with for his clan uh this idea that because they're sort of like i guess mountainous somewhere yeah, or whatever yeah. like in in a, in a cold area or whatever i thought that it um what what you'd get when you became a man was uh a very nice uh fur boot like sort of like an ugg boot type idea i guess but uh, but then he would uh that, that's your symbol being a man, like your test for your boot or whatever. And he passed that test because um, he encountered a spirit in, the, in this cave that he was going for the test, and you're supposed to like destroy any evil you encounter or whatever, but the judges of the test for manhood determined that the spirit was far too powerful, so it wasn't an honorable or fair test, and the rest of the stuff he did in there accounts for him to be a man, but he always sort of thought himself that he didn't count as a man because he wasn't able to do that, and he used some of his uh, spirit knowledge to track that this spirit had gone to the, like, away from the giant lands, so that's what he's followed into the plane. He also, like, in this world, giants have a humongous amount of guilt from some stuff they did during the war, so he wants to apologize to the goddess he worships and some other stuff like that. Yeah, that's an interesting character concept. Definitely stuff I can use in my games, so... Yeah, I I think I'm gonna have fun playing. I think it'll be like Carl. And then but the idea of the uh, the manhood thing was really good because actually in my um, in my world where where the uh, giants like live, they have this uh, they have this area called the Valley of Trials, um, oh, yeah. and it leads up to like the I believe the Golash Mountains, which is on on top of the mountains. It's the Oracle of the Giants lives, so that totally works in. Oh, with, yeah, um, I could definitely add stuff like that so that it's longer than just the part that I had. Yeah, so I mean, but it, I, that was funny because it actually worked into my entire idea of this, that area. This so. was one of those characters that just kind of fit. Like I came up with the concept after reading your like background stuff. And I had several character concepts, but I hadn't really looked closely at the paladin class, and I came up with the whole idea of him banishing, like, evil spirits from this cave or whatever. It's just great and, as it has been. Yeah, and then I noticed when I looked and went to the paladin class in Anima, it actually gets... Summoners have the ability to banish things they've summoned or extraplanar creatures, and paladins actually get that ability really cheaply. Um, so that worked out, like, just... It just all sort of fell together, so... Dan has a pretty interesting, like Dan has told me his uh, character concept. He's got a pretty interesting concept for a character. So I think, you know, if, if everyone else gets into it and, and like, like uh, Eclipse Phase and they make like really interesting characters, I think we should have a good uh, dynamic going on. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I don't know if we're going to do character creation this week or, or next week because it depends on what people want to do. Like we spent literally two weeks doing character creation, like just the past two weeks, um, doing character creation for Eclipse Phase, so I'm not sure how keen people are going to want to be in, in doing, like, another... And this is, like, pretty complicated character creation. Like, yeah. it's not really simple. So I, I said that we take a vote and see what people want to do, because um, really, personally, I'd rather do another Eclipse Phase game Well, that's because it's double boring for you, because you don't... No, no, I, I, I'm going to make a character, though, because oh. I, I have to do it myself anyways to understand the system to help you guys out. I just, I just like... I spent two weeks just, to, and I've spent like the past week like reading the book and everything like that. Like I, I'd like to see where Eclipse Phase goes and see 
you know, how, uh, how I guess playing comes out when we're all, like, together in a group, rather, because mm-hmm. the first, I knew the first game we were sort of going to all be off in our own, like, little worlds and stuff like that. It was going to take us a little bit to get our According to the together. Quickstar rules, they say that you guys would probably come together. Yeah, but I'm nervous never that way. But, yeah, I, I, I'd like to see, like, where that game goes. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, we'll take a vote and see see what people do. So, I mean, it'll, it'll either be this week we start character creation or, or next week. Either way, I mean, it'll be starting pretty soon. All right. Uh, is there anything else? else? No, I, I think we can wrap up. I'd just like to, first of all, give uh, a shout-out to anyone who lis- who's listening to this. If you're listening to this and you're able to find this, you probably already know about Gamers Haven, but I remember Gamers Haven, they got a pretty good podcast going on. You should check out the forums, listen to the podcast if you're interested in this sort of stuff. And uh, also, give a shout-out to, if you are listening to this and you've never heard of Happy Jacks, uh, pod, RPG podcast. It's an awesome par- podcast that I like to listen to, and I'm drinking a beer, so they drink a lot of beer on there, so that's what reminded me of it. Alright, so, oh yeah, if you want to contact me, send in like any feedback at all, definitely. I haven't gotten any, I don't know if anyone's actually listening to this except for people I personally know, but uh, I got the email address uh, pjhackdm at gmail.com, the letter P, the letter J, and hack uh, dm at gmail.com. All right. um, That's all. Uh, Have a good gaming week.